Well, I'm truly glad that you're here this morning uh, because we're going to start a new sermon series in the book of 1 Timothy. And I'm going to begin my sermon kind of explaining why that is. But for this morning, we're going to be looking at the first seven verses of 1 Timothy chapter 1. That can be found in your pew Bibles on page number 1177 or on the screen behind me where you can follow along. Again, the opening words to the letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Back in the beginning of December, when I was on one of my social media pages, I saw this meme going around, and if you can't read it very well, it says, if Paul could see the church in America today, we'd be getting a letter. I didn't really like this meme. I didn't like it for a couple of reasons. First, as several people pointed out in the comments below it, the church in America isn't just one singular thing. There are all many different churches in America teaching and doing many different things. So who needs the letter and why? And when you ask that question, it actually gets to the real reason why I didn't really like this meme, which was the underlying thought behind it, and, and it was confirmed in those that were sharing it, was kind of the idea that Paul wrote letters in order to correct people, mostly. That getting a letter from Paul was kind of like getting sent to the principal's office at school. It happened to you when you were in trouble. You were doing something wrong or inappropriate that needed to be corrected. Now, for sure... There are letters like Romans that kind of give the foundations of the faith and the teachings of Paul or, or letters to like the Corinthian church that had much to correct in, but that wasn't all of his letters. I was thinking about that, and then I was also reminded of an experience I had several years ago when a, a student of, of ours from our church was taking a Bible class at college. And as part of the assignment they had, they had to go back to their pastors and ask them, when you preach, what are some assumptions that you bring to the pulpit? I thought, that's a really interesting question. And as I thought and gave many different answers, I do remember one of the answers that I gave was, 
that truth be told, one of the assumptions I bring to the pulpit is that the vast majority of you, the people that are, I'm preaching to and come here week in and week out, are those who are believers. You would consider yourselves followers of Christ, devoted to the faith, and trying to live out that faith on a day-to-day basis. Now, there's a lot of qualifications to that. I hope and pray that there always are people who are new to the faith that feel welcome to come here. And I want to make sure that what I preach is something that they too can understand. I also don't want to assume that just because you show up every week that you are a true believer in Jesus Christ. But again, the basic assumption truly is that when I come to this pulpit, I think I'm primarily speaking to people who are genuine believers. Just as a side note, that student was Pastor Lucas, by the way, several years ago, and it's kind of neat to have him as a co-worker uh, now and see him working with us today, this morning. You take that meme and you take that assignment and you put that together, and, and really what drove me to 1 Timothy was this question that's going to kind of frame a lot of what we're doing throughout this book. What would Paul say to a genuine believer? Someone whose faith is not questioned, someone who isn't in trouble for what they are doing, someone who needs encouragement and development in their faith. How does Paul talk to them? What does he say to those people? And so that's kind of how I want to approach 1 Timothy. As those who are believers, what encouragement do we need to hear? What challenges do we need to face in our ongoing walk with the Lord as we grow in our relationship with him. And so let's start with 1 Timothy, and since it's the beginning, let's deal with the very basics. First of all, uh, this book is what we call an epistle. It's a letter. And like most letters of the day, the first thing it does is identify the author of the letter. They didn't sign at the end. Right away, they wanted to know, this is the person who's writing it. And like a lot of the letters in the New Testament, this letter is written by Paul. In the book, in this letter, he identifies himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. That word apostle is kind of like an official term. It's generally those who were were sent or commissioned with a particular task. And when it's applied to the church, it is those that knew Jesus, that experienced the resurrected Lord, and were sent by Jesus to go forth and share the good news of hope that he has come to bring to the world. And that was Paul's challenge. That was his commissioning. Now, this was a rather dramatic event for Paul, and we're going to develop this a little bit later on when he makes more specific reference to it. But Paul wasn't always a follower of Jesus. He grew up as a very devout Jew, dedicated to knowing as much as he could about the faith, taught by the greatest leaders of the day to the point where he was very vehement and considered himself a Pharisee. And when Christ arose and disciples started going out and spreading the news of who Jesus was and what he had done, initially, Paul was very opposed to it. Going out and trying to stop this message, to shut down the churches, to arrest 
its adherents and try to discipline and persecute them so that they would cease proclaiming this name of Jesus. That was until he had a conversion experience. While on the way to go and find a church and imprison them, Paul met the risen Jesus. And that is where his life changed. And rather than opposing the church, he was sent to go and defend and promote and establish the church. And that's exactly what he did. An apostle to the Gentiles proclaiming the news of faith. As I said, we'll develop that more as he references it more directly. So that's who wrote this letter, this epistle. And then we find out who it was written to, which is Timothy. Now, let me start with this. Although this is a personal letter, what we would call a pastoral epistle written to one person, what we will find is throughout the letter, Paul is aware of and in many ways encouraging the fact that there are other eyes and ears that will be able to know what Paul is saying to Timothy. And there are places where this will become apparent. But first and foremost, this is to Timothy. And if you don't know who Timothy is, as I already alluded to, he is a fellow believer and servant of Jesus. His faith was not in doubt, and he didn't get this letter because he was in trouble. He was a young man that was born to a Greek father and a Jewish mother. He is mentioned in several other books of the Bible as someone who was a faithful servant with Paul, someone who went with him on his missionary journeys, even as a young age. And so it can be assumed and understood that he was a trustworthy and gifted leader. And that's clear from the start of our book. After giving his typical greeting, uh, Paul identifies to Timothy the context within which he is writing this letter and one of the main purposes that he wants to address. And that is that the context is Timothy was asked to stay in the city of Ephesus and work with that church there. This would have been the very same church that earlier, years earlier, Paul had written the book of Ephesians to. And right away, we find out that the reason why Timothy was asked to work with the church in Ephesus was because there were some false teachers. He says in verses 3 through 4, I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. So let's highlight some of the things that those words uh, emphasize about the, the issues that Paul is raising. First, Paul's clearly identifying that there are a group of people within the church of Ephesus that are teaching something that he would call a different doctrine. Something that doesn't fit with the proper teaching about who Jesus was and how we are to follow with him. And these aren't just, you know, people on the fringe sides of the church. These are people who want to be prominent in the church. We see at the end of our text that they want to be teachers and, and leaders in the church. And so this is a bit of an issue because these leaders are teaching and leading something that Paul says is a different doctrine. So who are these people and, and what are they teaching? 
Well, while there are a lot of speculations about what they were, I have to start by admitting nobody really knows for sure. But let's look at the clues that are in the text. It says that they were people who were devoting themselves to myths and to endless genealogies. It seems as though they were spending a lot of time in, in myths, things that were untrue. And again, while we don't know exactly what that is, these might be stories about Jesus that were just being made up. A lot of the work of the early church was to divide the things that really happened with Jesus and those that were not true to get to the heart of the message of the gospel. And some, at least one commentary I read, speculated that one of these myths or some of these myths were ways to justify immoral behavior, things that otherwise would be considered sinful. And, and while I thought about that as an option, I thought, well, how often does that affect us? How much time can we spend searching scripture and, and coming up with all kinds of strange interpretations in order to justify ourselves and our wrong behavior and say like, yeah, I know I'm doing that, but, but this is okay, and this is why. The same applies for endless genealogies. Again, we don't know what this was about either, but we can guess there was probably a way to, to dig out more information about who they were and why they should be considered prominent within the church. And again, I think we know what this is, looks like. How often are there people in the church that, that worry more about who their parents were and, and what their great-grandparents did in order to help the church and to establish it and the, the lessons of faith that they were as an example without really living out the faith for themselves? They're more worried about what happened in the past than they are about living out that faith today. But again, I don't want to go too far down that path because in a text that challenges speculating, I don't want to speculate all that much. And in the end, it really doesn't matter what these myths or these endless genealogies were because the real problem was exactly that. That this was leading them to spend a lot of their time in speculations and then later, as he says, vain discussions. And the picture that's getting painted is of a church of a group of people that seem to be content to spend a lot of their time debating and discussing ideas, wanting to pass and, and teach things on to others without truly understanding what they were saying, and while trying to promote themselves and build themselves up in the church, rather than doing what they were supposed to be doing. And that was the problem. We're going to see more about these false teachers and what they were doing as we carry on with the book. But what then becomes most important is not what they were doing and who they were, but in our text, who Timothy and Paul were called to be in contrast to all of that, to stand out as different. And we see this in a couple of places. Instead of speculating, as Paul says, they should be focusing on stewardship from God that is by faith. That word stewardship is kind of like a household manager, the, the, the literal translation of it. And the idea is that the church is not our church, it is God's church. 
The people, you who make up the church, are not my people. You are God's people. And a steward is someone who's called to not elevate themselves, but to serve, to protect, to encourage those. And that's what they were not doing. And then the main encouragement an explanation of what it was supposed to look like is found in verse 5, where it says, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. As those themselves who had been blessed to know and experience the incredible grace of God, forgiving their sins and now called into a life with the Lord, walking with him, Paul knew that to become a follower of Christ meant that it must show itself in your life, a theme that will continue to be developed throughout the book. And what should come out of, um, and in light of that, how they should live is that instead of focusing on debates and winning arguments, the motive of their leadership should always be love. That the goal of the church was not to win arguments or to debate or to discuss or to elevate themselves, but to love the people that God had put in their path. And that love was to come out of, as it says, a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. If Timothy was given this charge to correct and to challenge people, then Paul wants to be sure that he's doing this motivated, out of love, shown by right action. People don't listen to hypocrites. And so if you are trying to convince them of the truth of the things that you are teaching, but yourself living in opposition to that truth, well, then why would they listen to you? And so Paul says that when you love others and serve them, it should be motivated by a pure heart, not corrupted by immoral activity that you're doing behind the scenes or, or not in front of other people. That it should be motivated and come out of uh, a good conscience. Again, one that is, is not holding anything back or feeling guilty, but able to proclaim, this is the truth because I am walking in this way. And from a pure heart. A heart that is not motivated by personal pride or privilege of gaining power and prestige within a community but a heart that is motivated by the benefits and the blessings of other people. And that, I think, is the main thing that we need to hear this morning. As those who, like Paul and Timothy, have given ourselves to the Lord, the question is, what are we called to be and to do as a community and within the world I started with that meme about the American church getting a letter from Paul. And again, while I have problems with it, there are plenty of places in the Church of America where there are problems. Clearly, there are churches that are teaching messages that are a different gospel, that don't align at all to the message and the word of Christ, that have strayed and wandered far from that. And those things need to be called out, and they need to be corrected. But, 
Again, those are not first and foremost arguments to be won. Those are bad ideas held by people that we need to love. And so as we start to apply these things, first and foremost, while I do assume that the vast majority of you are believers, we cannot start without reminding you of that great message of hope. And for those that maybe never have truly given yourself over to the Lord or aren't sure if you do, what you must hear at the very beginning of all of this is that what we celebrated on Christmas is that word of hope that motivates all that we do. And I don't just say that to try to get you to come to this church and be another number or to get more money in the offering place. I do that with the elders and leaders of this church because we genuinely believe it and we genuinely love you and want what is best for your life. And so if you haven't ever or aren't sure if you've ever given your life to Christ, do that. Because that alone is the way that your sins can be forgiven. That you can have a reason for living in this world. That you've got something to look forward to and to do instead of just going from day to day pointlessly and meaninglessly. So hear that message first and foremost. And then for the rest of us. I think there are things that we need to hear, having given our lives to Christ, that doesn't mean that we're done, but it continues to call us to do several things. And maybe some of us need this morning to hear primarily that message of loving other people. Our culture is so quick to divide and to separate other people. And sometimes we can fall into that. We can assume that I know everything about you based on the color of your skin, based on your economic social status, or I can know everything about you based on the political party that you align yourself with, and therefore I know everything I need to know, and I can just put you into that box, and that's how I'll treat you. And I will treat you primarily as someone I have to defeat. But really, as a Christian, we are called to not fight those battle of ideas to defeat and destroy people, but to love those people. And that is the motivation. So maybe many of you need to hear that call to love the people that God puts in your life. It might be a family member. It might be a coworker. It might be a neighbor. But what should drive us in our relationship with them is the love we've received in Christ that we want to share with them. And then maybe some others need to hear more about that pure heart, clear conscience, and right faith. The reality is, as I said, no one likes to listen to a hypocrite. And there are far too many that have compromised the message of hope that they hope to proclaim to others in the way that they have lived their lives. That they have sacrificed the truth and the trustworthiness of their testimony because while they say, I love you and I want you to know Jesus and this is what it means, the lifestyle they live does not align with that. And people look at that gap and they say, well, why should I ever listen to you or follow what you're teaching? Because clearly it makes no difference in your life. And maybe that's the challenge we need to hear. 
that we need to get a clear conscience, a pure heart. And again, that's not something we can do on our own. We need to depend on the Holy Spirit toward that. And doing that doesn't guarantee our salvation. Only Christ saves us. But because we know we have been saved by Christ, we are called to live a different life. A life with a clear conscience, a pure heart, developing from that sincere faith given to us by Christ. So that's where we're going to start our book. What does Paul say to people that are genuine believers? And he calls us again to look at the world having received the love of Christ with a heart of love and to live in response to that so that we can have a consistent message that is heard by a world that needs to hear it. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, again we begin with a profession that none of us is worthy of the love that you have given first to us. That if you treated us as our sins deserve, we would be driven from your presence. And we thank you that you have taken us from those who hate you and hate your church to welcoming us and calling us your own. In light of that, may we truly live for you. May we look at the world full of your image bearers as those that we love and want to support and draw also into a relationship with you. And may that message never be a hypocritical one, but may we live in such a way that the world recognizes that we, indeed we are different, that we have a different set of priorities and goals, that we aren't just here to argue and to fight and to debate, but we are here with a message of true hope that this world needs to hear. So may that message be proclaimed and heard from this community of faith as we continue to live out that faith where and when you call us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.